This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. It is NBA Sound System Live. We are ready to rock a week away from the start of the 2020-2021 NBA season. Uh, we are going to discuss the Eastern Conference in this very program. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to make a little prediction. We're going to make some predictions on the Eastern Conference. Make some predictions on the awards in the NBA. Rookie of the Year, Most Improved, and Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, speaking of the Defensive Player of the Year, reigning Defensive Player of the Year, Giannis Antetokounmpo, we must talk about him and lead the show off with his big news that uh, really doesn't just affect the Milwaukee Bucks, but I think the entire NBA. A five-year Supermax deal signed by Giannis uh, broke just hour, maybe a year or two before we are now speaking to you live here across the NBA Global websites. Uh, Scott, what is your initial reaction to Giannis? deciding to stay put in Milwaukee. I mean, first of all, you just have to start with how incredible of a story this is. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was the number 15 pick in the 2013 NBA draft. He seemed like the biggest mystery in that draft. I remember the videos that you could only see of him were in some gym, um, I want to say in Greece. It wasn't like he was playing at the highest level in, in the EuroLeague like Luka. Um, he was just a huge mystery, and he, he came into the NBA. He was really raw. And then now we're talking about one of the best players in the league, a multi-time MVP, um, one of only 14 players in NBA history, I think, to do that. Obviously, last season, he became only the third player in NBA history to win MVP and DPOY in the same season. And now he has the uh, the richest contract in NBA history. So um, it, just, just from that perspective, it, it really is an incredible story. Um, and obviously, he's nowhere near to being done. This is only the start for him. And I think, you know, he's going to be competing for MVPs and Defense Player of the Years and championships for the next decade, potentially. Um, so that, that was kind of the first thing that came to mind for me. The second was... Next offseason was meant to have a really good free agent class, and it is quickly uh, not looking like that. Um, <laughs> not just Giannis, you know, LeBron signed that extension. I don't think anyone expected him to leave LA, but he's not going to be a free agent next offseason. We know that. Anthony Davis, again, he could have been a free agent next offseason. He probably wasn't going to leave the Lakers, but that's no longer even an option. And Paul George in LA. Um, so now the, the big name free agent next offseason is Kawhi Leonard. I don't think anyone would be surprised if he kind of just stuck with the Clippers. Um, and then after then, you're looking at guys like Rudy Gobert and Victor Oladipo. So it's it's interesting how quickly a, you know a star-studded free agent class um, just isn't looking like that anymore. So so those were the kind of the, the two things that came to mind for me. And obviously, like you said, this doesn't just impact the Bucs. This impacts a lot of teams around the league. Um, the Raptors come to mind. They're a team that were apparently interested in going after Giannis next offseason. Same thing with the Heat. Both those teams kind of structured all the deals that they've signed over the last couple seasons to have max cap space next offseason to pursue Giannis. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where those teams go or what direction they go in now. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in our Eastern Conference preview and how the Giannis deal kind of affects the entire conference going forward. But as you said, the richest contract in NBA history worth $228 million plus 
over the next five seasons for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, when I look at this deal, Scott, it's not just the money. Obviously, that's great for Giannis and his family. Uh, it's not that he's you know uh, you know going to stay in Milwaukee, and that and that's great for the small market. But I think it's a win for. Uh, teams and they're building their homegrown stars because over the last I want to say a handful of seasons and anytime you have the big free agent fish kind of out there on the market there's always been this dark cloud that a he was going to whether or not he would leave and then eventually at the end of the end of the title we would see a guy leave we, we saw it with Kevin Durant uh, you know we saw it with LeBron James multiple times and Giannis was going to be the next big thing to potentially jet from his homegrown team uh the fact that it's a small market in milwaukee kind of puts a magnifying glass on that situation as well and very seldom do we see the small market be able to keep their big star it was a little different with lebron because that was his hometown team that was uh, where he grew up and everyone expected him to stay there he did not uh kevin durant same situation even though it wasn't his hometown team actually his hometown team in Washington was rumored to get him at some point throughout that whole courting process. He didn't go there. We know how it ended. He ended up in Golden State winning two championships. So I think everybody expected uh, if Giannis did not sign this deal, and he had another week left until he signed the deal, but if he did not sign this deal, whether or not he signed it next summer or whatever the case may be, the storyline all season long would have been whether or not Giannis was leaving or probably people saying flat out that he is leaving so for him to kill all of that before we even end the preseason for him to kill all of that before we even start the season is a good sign for i think the milwaukee bucks for i think the entire league as a whole because it makes everything even that much more interesting uh and and really the small market teams that are you know trying to hold on to the homegrown stars so outside of Giannis, steph curry and I know that you know Golden State's now a destination just because you know Steph's there and they and they've won a couple times in the last couple of years, but they weren't a destination prior to that. Uh, when you're looking at free agents, Steph's kind of turned it into that. Um, you think of Damian Lillard in Portland; he's still figuring out what what that next level is, and and him staying in Portland kind of gives them a shot in the arm that they were able to keep their homegrown talent. And now the pressure is to win a championship, bring a championship to Portland, like Steph had done to. You know, in in the Bay Area. So now that's going to be the pressure for Giannis. We, we got the contract out of the the way. Now it's all about how many rings is he going to be able to bring to Milwaukee. And quite frankly, I think one will just change the landscape in that city and that state for that matter. Uh, if he's able to get one done there and 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 be the homegrown talent that they want him to be all along. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the player to compare him to um, in that regard is Dirk, right? Because for so long, Dirk is this guy who stuck with the Mavericks for his entire career. Um, he kind of had the reputation of being a, a choker in the playoffs for a while. And then obviously he put together a historic run that, that year that the Mavs won the finals. That was one of the greatest championship performances we've ever seen. Um, and how that just completely changed the narrative of his career. Um, and it is interesting that, you know, in, in, in some situations, like like Dirk's one championship felt more impactful than, what, two championships or three championships out to some other people. Do you know what I mean? Just just because it's that homegrown talent, like you're saying. Um, so I agree with you that Giannis winning even just one championship in Milwaukee would be huge for them. Um, and I also agree with you that this is a big deal just for the Bucks for this season, because if Giannis didn't sign that Supermax, whether he intended to sign it next offseason or go somewhere else, they would have just been bombarded with questions all season long. And, you know, it would have been a little bit easier because reporters aren't going to be in locker rooms like they have in the past. So he's not going to be, you know, microphones stuffed in their faces every single night um, like we usually see. But there's no denying that the the looming theme all season long for the Bucks would have been 
how does every single win, loss, transaction, everything impact Giannis, um, his future with the team, and how they're going to win the championship. So it's just a huge sigh of relief for them because this this team is still built to win the championship this season. That's still going to be the expectation, whether Mike Budenholzer says it or not. Um, you know, this is a team that every single season now, it, I, I don't know if it is championship or bust, but it, it's as close to that level as you can get. Um, but it definitely takes some of the pressure knowing that Giannis is sticking around. Um, you might have Drew Holiday on for at least a couple more seasons, assuming he picks up that player option. You got Chris Middleton. Um, so, so this team is kind of built to compete now, and they still have the pieces to, to build something new around Giannis in the next few years. Because like I said before, he's only, what, 26 years old? Um, so he's still got, you know, another six years at least in his prime, you'd like to think. Um, so this, you know, this isn't the only iteration of the Bucks that we're probably going to see around him, assuming he does, you know, stick with them for the length of this next contract and maybe even beyond that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of turn out for the Milwaukee Bucks going forward, how they build around Giannis, uh, starting with this season. I know they made a lot of moves in the offseason uh, to try and build around him and build a championship contender, and they gave up a lot of assets, future assets, that they hope don't mean anything if they're able to go deep into the playoffs. A reminder here, if you haven't yet subscribed to Sound System FC, Sound System FC, your home for football, uh, Legal MX playoffs now over Leon, champions, and I'm sure Lawrence and Bo will have plenty to say about it. Sound System FC, if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review your home for football. All right, we're, we're going to start. We were just talking Eastern Conference, so we'll we'll, we'll continue there. And uh, let's stick with the Milwaukee Bucks and their expectations going into this season. As you said, you don't think it's championship or bust for them. I do. I'm on the other side of that. I, I think we've now seen them go kind of you know crazy in the regular season the last two years uh, and then you know hit the wall in the playoffs abruptly before uh, most people expected them to to kind of fall out of the playoffs and in year one you can get them an excuse that that was a really good Toronto team a really tough team that it could have went either way in year two they were effectively upset by the Miami Heat and the two losses that they had in the postseason were very similar to me I think both teams kind of game plan to try and stop Giannis the exact same way. Uh, they went out the exact same way in the in the postseason, and in the Miami case, they actually you know went out faster than most people should have you know expected. They almost got swept in that series. Basically, Miami kind of gave away one game, and they that that could have been a sweep. Um, and so I'm looking at this season in, in, in Milwaukee and I know they, they went out and got Drew Holiday. They made some trades and, um, you know, we're able to kind of get some more playmakers they feel around Giannis. It, it was mainly Drew Holiday, but a lot is riding on Drew Holiday to take them over the top. I still don't feel like this team got significantly better than what it was a year ago. Do I think that Drew Holiday is a better player than Eric Bledsoe? Yes, but I don't think that he is that much better to take them over the top. So I still would like to see this team be improved, and that could be done through you know trades in the regular season or uh, waiting to the buyout market, whatever the case may be. But I feel like there is an ingredient missing for this Milwaukee Bucks team as it is constructed. So I, I think they're going to have a great regular season, but again, I see them falling in the playoffs. What do you say? I'm kind of with you in that I, I do think they've gotten better this offseason, but I don't know if they've completely knocked it out of the park to the point where they're the no-question best team in the East. Um, because, yeah, we, we, they've proven to be an incredible regular season team. They had basically historical defense the last couple seasons. Um, Giannis only had to play like 30 minutes a game last season just because they'd run every team out the court. 
um, in those minutes that he was on. But it's it's in the in the postseason where they haven't been able to adapt really, um, and that's going to still be the big question mark with them. And I I do think Drew Holiday helps them in that sense because one he's a far superior three point shooter than Eric Bledsoe, and um, you know that's not everything, but that that does make a difference because you need maximum amounts of spacing for Giannis to 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 go to work. Um, it's also on Bud though to kind of show that he can adapt his defense and his offense um, to different teams. And it's also, quite frankly, on Giannis, too. Um, I know you've been more critical about him than I have in the past, but there's no denying that there are certain parts of his game that he needs to improve on, needs to work on to become a harder person to guard because the way that the Heat defended him last season was very similar to the way that the Raptors defended him two seasons ago. Um, And until he can kind of find an answer against that coverage, which is basically have a really tough defender marking him one-on-one and then crash the paint against him because you know that he's going to score pretty much everything he in the paint that's what he wants to do um they, they're gonna it's gonna it can it can bog down for them on offense sometimes in the playoffs so I, again i'm with you i i do think there's still some question marks about this team but i do think they got better um but obviously a lot is riding on drew holiday um and i, I think he is going to be good for them he's far superior than eric bledsoe on both ends of the court which is saying something because Bledsoe is, I know you've been critical of him in the past, but Bledsoe is one of the best defenders at the guard position, but Drew Holiday is him on steroids. Um, he can guard multiple positions. He's better at guarding number one options. In a conference when you're going to see guys like you know Jimmy Butler, he's going to probably guard him if they see each other. Um, even Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, those kind of guys, like Drew's going to take on that matchup. Um, so that's going to be huge for them. But yeah, it, it's ultimately going to be around the margins and can they make the little differences that they need to in a series uh, to kind of put them over the edge. And that's just getting out of the East. It's not going to get any easier when they get to the finals if they face a team like the Lakers and Clippers as well. Yeah, that's a different story. I, I think when I look at this, and, and when we talked about making our predictions uh, heading into this pod, I looked at it as, okay, the season literally just ended you know, two months ago. It's a very short offseason. So I'm thinking to myself, how, how different can things be after we just saw these teams play and their flaws are going to be the same. Uh, you know, their their positives are going to be the same. Not much is going to have changed from when we last saw them in the bubble. And for this Bucks team, I don't know that Drew Holiday changes enough for me. Uh, he is going to be a better uh, playoff performer than Eric Bledsoe. All the stuff about the defense. Eric Bledsoe is a really good defender, but as you said, he's not going to be guarding Kevin Durant if it came down to it. So Drew Holiday is a more versatile defender, and that's all great. But the bottom line is, how are the Bucks going to unlock Giannis in a half-court setting? And we we won't know that in the regular season because teams aren't game planning night after night, uh, you know, specifically to build a wall against Giannis. But they are in the playoffs, and we saw the Magic do that in the first round, uh, you know, in the bubble, and they had some success with it. And that's why going into the series against Miami, I felt that there was no way that the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we're, we're going to get past that team because if the, the the magic with limited resources were able to slow the Bucks' offense down, then I figured that the Heat were that were you know had elite defenders plus the ability on the other end to score were going to run them out of the gym. I didn't expect them to get gentlemen swept, but they they absolutely did that. And when I look through the Eastern Conference and I see who, my, who Milwaukee will have to go through when we get to the playoffs, Philly's going to be there. Uh, you know they're they're still going to have to deal with the Heat. The Celtics, the Raptors, um, and, and and I think those four teams are the ones that you and in Brooklyn, um, those five teams are the ones you look at. 
all of those teams have enough tools there to slow Giannis down with the same type of defense as they did uh, or has has had been the problem for him the last two playoff runs. And um, I, I think there's a couple teams that are more equipped to beat them because they'll be able to score offensively more. Um, now, I don't think the Raptors have enough offense to get past Milwaukee, but they'll, they'll be able to stay close in games because of that ability to defend Giannis in that specific way. Same with Boston. I don't think Boston will have enough scoring, but they'll be able to stay close uh, by defending him that way. And that, to me, is the issue. And I thought that the Bogdan Bogdanovich deal was incredible when it happened. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go all the way through because I think that I don't think Milwaukee needs another all-star, um, but I do think that they need another playmaker. And Bogdanovich on the floor with a Bledsoe, with a Middleton, and, and whether or not you put Lopez or whoever else you want to put beside uh, that foursome, I think that there's more playmaking on the floor. Now, if Donovan DiVincenzo turns out, to, Dante, sorry, DiVincenzo turns out to be, uh, you know, has a leap like Tally Hero did in the bubble, then, you know, throw all of that out the window. But I don't know that he is going to be able to be that one-on-one bucket getter that Tyler Hero turned out to be. So uh, too much offense, too much of the Bucks' offense for me relies on what Giannis can do. And until they get someone else that can go and get their own shot that can play alongside him, I'm going to have a hard time picking them to come out of the East. I'm with you on the Bogdanovich thing. I think when I was saying before that they got better this season, but they didn't hit a home run to the point where I think they were the favorites to win the championship, Bogdanovich would have been that piece for me. Like when that rumor came out or when that was announced that they were, you know, agreed to sign and trade for him, um, which obviously fell apart. I, I thought he brought everything together they needed. Another three-point shooter, brought some nasty to the team, everything like that. Um, I, I will say a couple things that, that came to mind while you were talking through that. One, given the situation that we are going into the season with such a small layoff, and then also the other East teams dealing with quite a bit of turnover, I do think continuity is going to work in the Bucks' favor because Drew Holiday is going to take some time to implement him because he's not necessarily the highest usage of guy, but he is a guy who needs the ball in his hands um, and does more than Eric Bledsoe does. But beyond that, this is this is the same team that we saw last season, um, and at least we know what we're going to get with them, whereas there's really questions to every other team. Like Kyrie and KD look great in that preseason game, but you know, are they ready to lift this team to a championship? Um, well, we'll get all to the other teams eventually, but I, I do think there's more probably question marks with the other teams in the league than there are the Bucks, um, and that might help with them in that regard. Something else that you said too, I do wonder how many teams in the East are actually equipped to defend Giannis in the way that the, the Heat and the Raptors did the last couple seasons, because we, we can sit here and say the Heat could do it again, but the reality is they lost Jay Crowder, who was a key piece of that defense because he was the one-on-one defender guarding Giannis, um, and he didn't obviously stop him all by himself, but having someone who can kind of match his physicality is huge. And even when you look at the teams like the Nets, I don't know if the Nets have someone who can do that. Um, the Celtics, I, I don't, again, it's the same kind of thing. And, um, you know, you look at a team like the 76ers, maybe they have Joel Embiid, but Giannis kind of figured that matchup in the second time they played against each other last year um, after struggling on Christmas Day. So um, I, I don't know. There's quite a lot to think about there. But again, this kind of comes back to I do think the Bucks got better, but I don't know if they they got good enough to, to be the clear number one favorites to come out of the East this season like they have really going into the last couple seasons. Yeah, I, I, you're right. Maybe personnel aside, though, I think that the blueprint is there. Uh, and that's what more I was speaking to rather Absolutely. than the, the personnel. And the blueprint 
is not going to change because Giannis hasn't all of a sudden became a great three-point shooter in the last two months while he was out in Greece. That didn't happen. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be the same thing. And regardless of the bodies that you can put in front of him, there is a blueprint there. And that's easily replicated by, I think, every team in the NBA. It's just a matter of, as you said, you know, Jay Crowder is a, a special defender. Not every team has a Jay Crowder, but you can still replace him with a Mo Harkless. And, and Giannis may not go for the 40 points, but you can slow him down and maybe keep him to 28 and and, and make him a, a one-dimensional score. Um, all right, let's move on before we make this a wholly honest cast. Um, let's go to the Nets because you brought them up, and I find them interesting because I think that this team has the potential to end up being like the Phoenix Suns uh, of Steve Nash um, in, in the sense that Nash is this head coach. He has D'Antoni on his staff, and when he was playing on those great teams, they could score against anybody. The problem was they couldn't stop anybody, and that's where their engine kind of slowed down in the playoffs. And watching, and it's only game one, it's only the preseason, but the Nets in no, in that game did not show me any signs of a team that is willing to lock in defensively uh, for an extended period of time. And, but they know that they can put up 120 on most teams. So I'm wondering if we'll see the Brooklyn Nets run a lot of teams out of the gym or uh, you know, if they are going to be willing to play the championship level defense, that's really going to take them through the long run. And I think we're going to see the former because I, I, I anticipate this team gelling really well offensively, but having a lot of finger pointing uh, and, and saying, hey, that was your man after someone runs in for a layup defensively. Yeah, and that starts with the two best players, right? Because um, Kyrie Irving has never been known as much of a defender. And Kevin Durant, at his peak, was a tremendous defender. Um, basically like an all-NBA caliber guy. Um, but one, is he going to be able to do that at this age? Two, is he going to be able to do that coming off the injury he had? Um, and three, is he going to be carrying such an offensive load for this Nets team that he's going to be able to go all out on defense, kind of like he did with the Warriors, who were one of the deepest teams in NBA history? Um, and, you know, there's been talk about him playing some power forward and center. And obviously that has a potential to be tremendous. Um, offensively, I don't, I don't know how you stop that with a team with Kyrie Irving um, and Kevin Durant with shooters like Joe Harris or, or Spencer Dinwiddie, playmakers like that around them. But the defense is going to be the big question mark for them. Um, the one thing on that, though, is obviously, you know, they've been tied to um, all these James Harden rumors and, and a potential destination for them. The reality is they could use some of their younger pieces that have been mentioned for that James Harden uh, trade, potential trade, to go after a defensive-minded player on the wing who could kind of fill that gap for them. Um, and that's something, you know, if we get to the trade deadline and they're ranked, you know, fifth on offense, but 18th or 20th in defense, and it really is looking like a problem, maybe that's the move that they make. And I think that's the, the interesting thing about this team to me is obviously they're top-heavy. Uh, not top-heavy. They, they have two bona fide all-stars, um, and one superstar in Kevin Durant at the top. But they're also a very deep team. When you look at Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, um, even DeAndre Jordan in a small role uh, can make an impact at this stage of his career. So you have a deep like eight, nine-man rotation on that team. Um, and obviously that could help him throughout the season if you're dealing with guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant who are coming off injury and need time to recover or miss some games. You can just put a Karis LeVette in there and p feel pretty confident that he's going to carry offense for a couple nights. Um, but they could also use that to go after someone who can kind of fill some of the problems on this team or the weaknesses on this team. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see um, going into the trade deadline, especially as they kind of gear up. Because um, the reality is this team is gunning for a championship this season, right? Even given the fact that Kyrie Irving was injured last season and barely played and Kevin Durant hasn't played in over a year, 
um, this team has championship expectations, and that's what they had when they signed those two guys. So I, I it'll be interesting to see kind of you know how long they if they do have any problems, how long they kind of stick with the roster they have, um, or if they try and make some moves to 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 kind of solve their biggest weaknesses. They're deeper than I thought they were. Uh, they really I think I need, and I think I needed to see them. Sometimes you you, you look at the roster and you, you scan through it on you know Basketball Reference or wherever NBA.com, and you you look at them on paper, but you need to see them in action and uh, and the rotations and and the different type of lineup combinations that you could have. Jeff Green's on this team, and you know I, I don't think I would have given it much thought until I saw him play. And Jeff Green's nothing to write home about, but he is a guy that's going to be able to give you solid minutes in a playoff series that hasn't has been there before and isn't scared. Um, you know, Landry Shamit, another guy who's going to have moments throughout the season where you're like, oh, Landry Shamit's on the team. He's he's a guy that can space the floor for this team and 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 makes it really tough. Rodion's Karuks is another guy who may take a charge in a critical moment that you, you're just not even thinking about and they have those type of guys Torian Prince as well they have those type of guys that are just glue people and I think that if I am Sean Marks and the Nets organization I don't touch James Harden there's no need to get another offensive player when I think my offense is going to be a top seven offense in the league I I, like you I, I really think that they should look long and hard to try and get another wing defender they probably missed out the most in, in getting the Drew Holiday uh, move. Because if Drew Holiday was on this team, they, they would be off to the races. But Milwaukee uh, getting Drew Holiday added to their team and subtracted from the Nets. They're probably their biggest rivals right now in the East, um, on paper anyway. And and Juan, in that situation, they need to go find, uh, Brooklyn does, they need to go find another uh, guy that's going to take up the defensive slack that you can trust. And I don't know that there's a ton of those guys available because they all got scooped up in the offseason. So, We'll have to wait and see what happens with Brooklyn, or maybe someone develops on their bench uh, and and decides. And I think Joe Harris is a really good defender. I don't know if he's elite, but I don't know if people have really put him in the position to go and say, "All right, go guard the best player on the other team," uh, you know, for seventy-two times in a season. He did it with Team USA, surprisingly enough, at the FIBA level. Um, Greg Popovich actually put Joe Harris on most, uh, you know, uh, on most opposing teams' best wing scorer, and he did pretty good. So um, that could be something that Steve Nash and, and Mike D'Antoni look to do, and, and that net staff look to do. But um, defensively, for me, is, is really what the issue is going to be with this team. Uh, let's move on and talk about the uh, the Seventy Sixers. Both of you, both of us, have gotten burnt by. Uh, predicting that this team would go deep into the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, are you willing to step out onto the line again and saying that Sixers are going to be a good team again this season? I think they're going to be a good team. How good? Uh, I still don't really know. But they're, they're, they're absolutely going to be a good team because I think ultimately their championship ceiling comes down to whether or not Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can mesh perfectly together. They've proven that they can play with each other, but can they get the best out of each other on the court at the same time? And I think... Daryl Morey in particular, this offseason, taking over this team as president, it's very clear that he came in, you know, hoping to surround those two players with as much shooting as possible because two or three years ago when they were at their best in the postseason, that's what they looked like. It was Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid getting up and down the court with three-point shooters surrounding them. Um, so now you add Danny Green, um, who's one of the most accurate three-point shooters in NBA history. I think he's a 40% three-point shooter for his career. Um, he's obviously a multi-positional defender who's going to help them in that regard. You have Seth Curry on the bench, who's been one of the most accurate three-point shooters in the league um, since he came along. And being able to plug those guys in along alongside them is going to make their lives much easier. Um, to the point where you know we're picking them to make it out of the East like we did last season. I, I don't know if I can get there yet. 
Uh, but I do think this team is going to be much better offensively without sacrificing much defensively. Um, and as long, again, as long as they get the buy-in from their guys, as long as Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are kind of firing all cylinders, are healthy and all that, um, they're going to be a tough team to beat. There's no doubt about that. I am talking myself back into the Sixers, Scott. Uh, and I hate that I have to do this, but I am. And, and I'm glad <laughs> that you brought. I'm glad that you brought up the two uh, year ago, or it was. It's in 2017, 18. Um, I think so. When they when they really kind of turned the corner with their offense and sort of kind of figured it out. But Joel Embiid was hurt heading into the postseason. Uh, he he only played eight games. He missed the first two for them. Uh, and Ben Simmons, uh, and, but he missed a lot towards the back end of the season. But the Sixers went into that playoffs, uh, I think, on a 16 or 17 game winning streak, and it was really Ben Simmons and a bunch of shooters on the floor. And they're still, to me, their best lineup is still going to be with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both on the floor together. But I think what we've seen over the last two years is that when you take away one or two of them off of the floor, there, there is just no offense for the Sixers. They can't find any offense. Uh, now, with Doc Rivers there and with the added shooting that you have, uh, I think when you have Ben Simmons on the floor with the shooters, you're going to present a different problem for the teams, uh, the opposing teams to kind of go up against. And that's going to help in the playoffs. And it's going to also allow Joel Embiid to be more rested. Uh, so he does, he's not going to ha- be required to play close to 35, 40 minutes a game in that range. Because the offense is going to continue to be able to keep going. Um, there's going to be some games where you keep him on the bench longer, and that allows him to, when he gets back on the floor, dominate inside and do all the things he can do. And it also allow him to stay fresh defensively, which is the biggest issue for, uh, I guess, this team when when you're talking about their ceiling. Um, they're going to be a really good defensive team, but they're they're elite when Joel Embiid is locked in. And if they're going to win a championship, Joel Embiid has to be elite defensively. Simmons is already there, but if Joel Embiid can get there as well, look out. And I am slowly talking myself into the Sixer team with the added shooting. Steph Curry, uh, as you mentioned, he's going to play that Marco Bellinelli role that you know uh, the 2017-18 team had. Uh, Danny Green, we hope that his shot finally comes back because it was missing all last season with the LA Lakers. This will be a better situation for him. And even if he's not elite like he was with the Raptors, I'm talking about Danny Green, of course, he's still a better shooter than they had, the options that they had a season ago when he's on the floor with Ben Simmons. And you still have to respect him out on the uh, perimeter, and he's still going to be able to space. So um, they were looking for shooting. They got it. And I Mm -hmm. think that they are, first of all, they're a much better team than they were a year ago. Health is going to be the main thing for them. And I think just keeping Joel Embiid fresh so that he can be elite defensively because we know what he does offensively. Hey, contract year Danny Green is is uh, is a different kind of monster. So I, I, he, there's a good chance he's going to shoot like 45% on three this season just because, you know, it's, it's that year again. Um, I, I do think, by the way, one other thing worth noting about the 76ers is, is Tobias Harris. Obviously, they gave mm-hmm. him that huge contract um, to kind of, they, they're paying him like an all-star. He hasn't reached that level in Philadelphia but he's being reunited with Doc Rivers, um, and Tobias Harris played the best basketball of his career under Doc Rivers in LA on the Clippers. Um, before the 76ers acquired him, he was basically averaging 20, 21 points per game um, on really incredible shooting splits uh, to the point where he was a borderline all-star because the Clippers were just kind of exceeding expectations. Um, and he's not going to be able to you know, have control of the ball as much as he did. Um, in LA because he was basically the number one and number two option on that team next to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in Philly 
But I do think Doc Rivers has already said some things about, you know, putting him in more pick and rolls, which is something we saw him do really for the first time in his career um, in L.A. and did it really successfully. Um, and if, you know, he's a really good shooter, but if you can give him the ball a little bit more, get the offense moving, give him more space, maybe he's looking more like that borderline all-star he was a couple of years ago. Um, and if he is, that, that would be huge for the Sixers as well. We're gonna see. We're gonna start seeing a lot of people jump on the Philly bandwagon. I'm telling you, uh, they haven't played in the preseason yet. They're one of the few teams that haven't done so. When this, when people start seeing the size, the length on the floor that they can put in certain, you know, lineup combinations, and then also the shooting that they could have around Ben Simmons with him kind of running around and and, and playing faster at a high level, and then still being able to defend on the other end as well. It's not that they're sacrificing defense for uh, for some offense people are going to jump on that Sixer bandwagon. Um, I'm with you. Yeah, it's going to I'm with you. I, I will say one, one quick thing about them is we've been doing 30 teams in 30 days on NBA.com uh, where we basically just do a season preview for every team in the league. And one of the sections that we have is the depth chart. Um, and we kind of just kind of, you know, do our best to come up with what we think is the depth chart is going to be. And it was funny looking through the Sixers one today. It, it made sense. Like they have a point guard, they have a backup point guard, they have a shooting guard, they have a backup shooting guard. You know what I mean? Like Tobias Harris is the full-time power forward and there's no question mark anymore of if Al Holford and Joel Embiid are gonna play there and if Tobias Harris has to play the three. Like basically one through 15 on this roster, like it makes a lot more sense now. Um, and I do think that's gonna go a long way for them this season. Yeah, there are more building something there in uh, Philly, and they could be a potential hardened destination. Who knows? Um, yep. All right, uh, we we spent a lot of time talking about Giannis and the Bucks off the top, so that gives us a little bit of time or less time to talk about these next two, three teams rather. So I'm going to start with the Heat because they're the Eastern Conference champions, and I feel like already I'm disrespecting them by not talking them about them right off the top. Like this is a team that last year I, I said that they have a potential to go deep into the playoffs. Didn't know that they were going to make the finals, uh, but they ended up being there and they gave the Lakers a run for their money. At, at the end of the day, the, the, the Rick, the winners get to kind of write history, but let's not forget that the heat stole two wins from them in uh, and without Goran Dragic, um, you know, healthy and with Bam kind of compromised dealing with an injury. Who knows what would have happened if those two were healthy for that series playing at the level they were playing in a three series prior. So Jimmy Butler's back. This Heat team does lose Jay Crowder, but they replace him with Mo Harkless. Uh, bottom line is, is that they're still going to be ready to go. They're going to have a chip on their shoulder. And uh, I, I think that uh, they may not have the great regular season, but the, in the playoffs in a seven game series, it's going to be tough to get them four times. Yeah, they're, they're interesting to me because part of me, the pessimist in me says that I, I think last season we may have seen the best that Jimmy Butler's ever going to get. And I, I, part of me wonders that if he can ever reach to that point again, that's not to say that he can't come close to it, but I wonder if that was kind of peak Jimmy Butler. And if he's not able to reach to that historic level again, what does this team look like? Um, and similar deal with Goran Dragic, you know, Goran Dragic is getting up there in age. He, he has a ton of mileage. Um, he was basically averaging 20 points per game for them in the playoffs. Um, and can he kind of be that player again? So I think from that perspective, I'm a, I'm a little bit down on them. But then if you have that perspective, you're completely ignoring the fact that Bam Adebayo improved dramatically last season and could take another leap this season. Tyler Hero was a rookie last season. And if you think that he's going to be, you know, potentially a future all-star in this league, having that experience of going through the playoffs and playing the finals, he could be, he could make a leap this season. Um, and that would completely change the makeup of this team. And then Duncan Robinson, um, another guy who's coming off of a fantastic season, is a little bit older. Um, I think he's like 26, 27 years old, but he basically had one of the best three-point shooting seasons of all time last season, um, and I don't really have much reason to doubt that he can do it again. So if you factor that in, even if Jimmy Butler kind of falls off a little bit, 
Um, Goran Dragic falls off a little bit. If those guys improve, um, I think this team, you're right. I think they're going to kind of be right back there. Um, they're going to be playing with the chip on their shoulder because that's just the heat way. Um, and they're not going to fear anyone. We know that. Um, they, they proved it last season in, in playing the Bucks, taking them out in that second round. And then, like you said, going toe-to-toe with the Lakers, even though they had, didn't have their basically second and third best player uh, for a lo- large part, uh, portion of that series. Um the big question for me, and we've already talked about it, is Jay Crowder. Because I do think, you know, he you can make the case that he wasn't even the, the fourth or fifth best player maybe on the team last season. But he filled a really important role as a defensive-minded guy who could match up with guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo for a series. Um, and then also space the floor as a stretch four. Um, and even though he's not the most accurate three-point shooter, he is not afraid and he will get them up. And that still makes teams forced to defend him um, and provides valuable spacing. So I'll, I'll be interested to see kind of how they replace that. Um, but yeah, this team is... It, it is funny how this team went on the run that they did last season, and you're right, they they are kind of being slept on going into the season. It feels like you you mentioned Jane Crowder. I'm I'm interested to see how they they deal with uh, the loss of Derek Jones Jr. Because if you if you watched that Heat team all season long last year, you know that Derek Jones Jr. was one of their most versatile defenders throughout the regular season. That didn't show up much in the playoffs because they got Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala at the trade deadline. It changed the rotation a little bit, but I think. Uh, when you're looking at a long regular season, one that could potentially you know, see a lot of players go in and out of the lineup, they're going to miss that depth up there at the wing uh, position. So um, we'll see what the Heat do this year, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to count them out. Quickly, let's get to the Celtics and Raptors. Start with the Celtics first. They're going to be dealing with Kemba Walker, uh, and that's going to be the question all year long. The Kemba Walker knee injury. How that affects and how long he he's out of the lineup, and then how that affects the team when he does get back into the lineup. If he can be the all star that they expect him to be, is going to be the giant question. I, I think that you're still going to get Jason Tatum being Jason Tatum. The, the the leap that he took last year, I expect them to carry that through. Uh, Jalen Brown, I expect to get a little better and and more refined. Um, I like the Tristan Thompson pickup because it gives them a bruising center that can really you know pound down low, which they did not have last year. Um, but you lose Gordon Hayward, a playmaker. I think you you have to feel that loss. Anyone that scores, you know, 17, 18 points a night, um, replacing that is going to be hard because you're not getting that from Tristan Thompson. So um, whether or not you know Marcus Smart continues that hot three point shooting that we saw in the bubble, we'll we'll see. But this Boston team, to me, is a better playoff team than they were a year ago, but a worse regular season team, and that's all dependent on whether or not Kemba Walker is able to get back to full health. I think the biggest problem with them is that they just have less margin for error this season. Because last season, if they did lose, even if they lost Jason Tatum for a few games, um, at least they had you know Gordon Hayward, who could, who's a proven player and could kind of pick up that slack. Um, right. And also, Gordon Hayward proved that he could basically fill you know be the second best player, third best player, fourth best player, um, or option on any given night. And you're right, losing that is is going to hurt them. But if they can kind of get healthy for the playoffs. I do think they're going to be a really tough team to beat again, um, especially if you know Jalen Brown improves a little bit off of last season and Jason Tatum continues to improve because he he had a he had a very weird season when you look back on it because he got off to that slow start. Um, he was named an All Star. That seemed to be the kind of turning point for his season, and he took off from there. But that wasn't it. Um, he kind of took his game to another level in the playoffs. And something I wrote about on NBA.com in that Raptors series that really stood out to me was his passing. Um, and he's never been known as you know a, a big time passer or anything like that. And he's never going to reach the levels of a Luka Doncic, LeBron James, or anything or anything. Um, but for a guy who can basically get a bucket against anyone, he's going to draw so much attention that if he can, if he can kind of dissect teams a little bit more than he has in the past with his passing, 
um, which he did in that series, that's just going to take him to a whole nother level as a player. Um, so I do think, you know, he, he's still young. There's still room for improvement for him. And he's given me no reason to think that he's not going to continue to improve because um, there's just so many different areas of his game that he has built on since he's kind of come in the NBA. So I think wh- whenever you have a guy like that, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, who's the heart and soul of this team, they're still going to be really good and really competitive. Yeah, I think so too. But to me, I need to see what Kemba Walker looks like, how long that knee affects That's a big one. all year long. Uh, Raptors, they lose Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka. They were all in on the Giannis Antetokounmpo sweepstakes, and we now know that that is uh, it's not going to happen for them next summer. So this season that was kind of, you know, you go through uh, the regular season, be competitive as they have been over the last couple of years, a tough out in the playoffs. And then hope that you have enough talent to attract Giannis. That's gone out the window now. It's kind of plan B for this team. Who knows what plan B is? Masai Ujiri still hasn't signed the contract, so maybe that makes Raptors fans uh, a little nervous. Neither I don't think Bobby Webster is officially signed. I know his, his deal was close to being done, but I don't think he's officially signed. So th- that front office, pro- that's probably the biggest free agent signing now after Giannis is uh, mm-hmm. off the market. Um, what what happens with this Raptors team? Where uh, we know what they're going to be in the regular season, they're going to see expectations. But in the playoffs, I think is the reason is the question that most people have to kind of answer. Yeah, they're a fascinating team for me because I feel like they have a really high floor because they're basically obviously losing Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka was big. Um, they were both super productive for them in very different ways, but together they made basically I thought last year the best center rotation um, one and two in the league. So. But the thing is, they're basically bringing everything back. They've got Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. I think he's one of those guys who we could see take a leap this season. Um, the way that he improved going into la- the, the season restart. Um, I think he's a safe candidate to kind of take a leap forward this season. And I think Aaron Baines and Alex Len and Chris Boucher are going to be able to kind of fill those, those sense of minutes enough uh, where they don't completely feel the loss of that. So I, I feel pretty good about them being having a really high floor because they're still defensively, they're still going to be the same team. But you're right. Offensively, they're going to still have the same question marks. And a lot of it is going to come down to how Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam in particular continue to develop. Because we saw in the the playoffs last year, this team is an absolute monster in transition. There might not be a better team in the league at getting out in transition. But when the game slows down and it's in the half court, they lack that one guy who can kind of just get a bucket against anyone. And those guys don't come along often. Um, There's very few of them in the league. But we saw the impact that Kawhi Leonard had on it a couple seasons ago. Um, so, you know, if Siakam can't kind of take that another leap or Fred Van Vliet can't either, they're going to, I feel like they're going to just hit the same problem they did last season in the playoffs. Um, but they're still going to be an incredibly competitive team, a team no one wants to play on a night to night basis because they're going to go balls to the wall, 48 minutes a game. Um, but yeah, I I do think they kind of have a lower ceiling than some of these other teams that we've talked about. All right, that's what our predictions are for uh, some of these teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, do you have a sleeper in the East? I know we can't get to every single team, and, and sorry about that if you're a fan of uh, some of these teams that we did not name, but who's your sleeper, the team that you find most interesting outside of that top six? I think the uh, I think the Wizards are going to be interesting this season. Okay. I, I think they're going to be an absolute disaster defensively, um, <laughs> but offensively, I, they're going to get up and down. Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook. Um, even Davis Bertans were among the league leaders in transition scoring last season. So they're going to get up and down. They're going to play at a high pace. They're going to put up numbers. Um, I, I think they're a team that can kind of sneak into that 7-8, um, definitely 9-10 range to the point where they're in the play, play in tournament. Um, and I think anytime you have two guys in Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal, two bona fide all-stars, um, you, you might be able to do something. 
Yeah, um, I'm with the Hawks. Um, you know, how could we not say them? They they had the two biggest free agent signings uh, of the uh, of the summer: Dylan Gallinari and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. And they, to me, kind of sent the signal that they want to be a good team. Now let's see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have it on paper. It's all it's all around Trey Young. Um, watching them play in the preseason, you can see that there is some talent there now. Finally, for Lloyd Pierce to do something with. Um, just how much we'll find out in the win loss record, and I, they're going to be in the play in tournament at least, unless something you know drastically. I, I mean, it would be a disaster if they weren't. Oh my goodness! It, <laughs> I mean, if you're any team right now in the Houston Conference, you don't get to the play in tournament, you can consider that a disaster. But this Hawks team, who uh, spent a lot of money and do want to win and, and, and get into the back into the postseason, I am interested to see how deep and how far they go and how competitive they can be in a first round series because no one's going to be picking them to win the first round series, but how competitive. It's different making the playoffs and getting swept, but if you make the playoffs and you compete and maybe push it to six or seven games, then you have something and you and you kind of can build on the Trey Young experience there in Atlanta. So that's what I'm looking forward to there. Uh, speaking of Trey Young, he was in the one of the finalists for Rookie of the Year in his rookie season. Of course, he lost it to Luka Doncic. So let's get to that award right now. Um, what do you have for Rookie of the Year? this year with this rookie class that I don't think many people are really aware of outside of the top three picks. Oh, Colin, you're going to love this pick. Um, I have LaMelo Ball as my rookie of the year. <laughs> I think, look, of course this, this, this is not an award that usually goes to necessarily the best player in the category. Sure. Um, but I do, I, I do think Lonzo Ball is going to pad stats this season. He's going to have a ridiculous stat LaMelo line. LaMelo Ball. You said Lonzo. Sorry. LaMelo. I, I'm sorry. LaMelo Ball. Yeah. Um, he's, 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 you know, a triple-double threat every single night. He's not going to do it efficiently. Um, but as we've seen in these preseason games, he's going to be a walking highlight reel. And let's be honest, that stuff matters with Rookie of the Year because it leaves a lasting impression. And sure. I do think the Hornets are going to be somewhat competitive this season. I don't really expect them to be in the playing tournament, like we were just saying, because I do think there's a few other teams that are going to be better than them. Um, but if LaMelo Ball can kind of put up these numbers, be a walking highlight reel where everyone's talking to him on a night-to-night basis, um, and, and you know they're a little bit competitive, I, I do think he has a very good chance of winning this award. We have uh, we don't have enough time to break down the fact that you just said you don't think the Hornets are going to be in the playing tournament. That would be an absolute disaster for Charlotte if they're not into the playing tournament with the money they've spent this offseason. Uh, my rookie of the year prediction goes to Denny Adiva. I, I think that he is a very skilled player, um, and you know he's not a rookie in my opinion. Being able to play pro. Um, you know, overseas, he played in the Israeli league, he played in the Euro league, he's played at a high level, he's played in some hostile environments. He's coming over to the NBA where there's not going to be a crowd. Um, he does have a ton of expectations. The, the entire country of Israel is, is really kind of following him as if he's, you know, LeBron James, and, and rightfully so, he is their guy. Um, and I don't think that he's going to have. Uh, you know, a, a bad season per se, because it's going to take him less time to adjust to playing with the men than I think a lot of these other rookies. And he's not going to be expected to come out and, and, and be the man on that team at all by any means. That's, but And the numbers might not get him there. But I think we're past now looking at just the stats, the way that people vote on these awards. And we're starting to now look at the real impact. And 
he's going to be one of the first guys uh, I think that's going to win this award where you start looking at how much impact did he make in terms of winning. And he's not a great defender, but as you saw in game one uh, in Brooklyn, he, he kind of stole some headlines there from the, the Kyrie KD experience going six for six from the field, can move the ball, a good passer, can handle it better than I thought he could. And he, he has enough of a handle. He could probably play the three out on the wing, maybe where I thought he would, he would have to be an NBA four. So, um, if he can continue to shoot the way that he shot, uh, you know, in in the preseason in Game One, and he's going to get the space to do it with playing with Russell Westbrook and uh, Thomas Bertans and uh, you know Bradley Beal, and he's going to be able to play make because there's going to be shooting on the floor for him. Uh, I think he's going to make a, a huge impact for uh, for the Washington Wizards. I just worry about touches with him because we we talked about it last week. I think there's enough concern to think that you know Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal might not be. Uh, the most perfect pairing just because they both kind of need the ball in their hands a little bit so if you do even if you do think that they're going to kind of hit the ground running together what does that leave uh, for Denny Abdija um, so that, that would be my only concern with him like you I mean I saw that preseason all the highlights and everything like that he, he looks fantastic um, definitely one of the most NBA ready prospects in this class so if he can kind of make an impact on a Wizards team that we just said should be in the mix for the playoff tournament that's the other thing do you know what I mean if he is making an impact a, a positive impact on a team that can make the playoffs that's definitely you know something to that that helps his case his plus minus is going to be tremendous and his impact on the uh on off stats going to be tremendous i, I know that um defensive player of the year last year Giannis won it on an elite bucks defense do you see it going that way again this year uh, I don't. I think there's going to be some voter fatigue uh, with Giannis this season because like we've talked about, I think a lot of people are kind of in that, whether it's right or wrong, um, they just kind of need to prove it in the playoffs, uh, right. which takes some of the the, the kind of um, how impressive he's been in the regular season. So for me, I, I, this is Anthony Davis's award to lose for me. Um, I, I think, you know, this is a regular season award, but I do think kind of what he did last postseason in the finals We'll, we'll have some carryover effect going into the season because he proved to just be really, I, I think, the most valuable defender in the league. A guy who can, is basically just as valuable off the ball um, as he is on the ball. The, the only thing holding him back is that with such a small layoff, I, I do wonder if him, LeBron James, and just the Lakers in general are going to kind of coast this regular season. And if that's the case, maybe he you know isn't really in the running for this award, especially when you look at other guys like Giannis. Um, Rudy Gobert is going to be up there again, maybe even Marcus Smart, Ben Simmons. Um, but I, I do think, you know, push comes to shove. I think Anthony Davis proved to be the most valuable defender in the league last season when you take the playoffs into account. And I think that will leave a lasting impression. Um, enough of a lasting impression anyway that if he does actually play legitimate minutes, the Lakers are really good again, have a dominant defense, that this is his, his award to lose. Yeah, I'm with you on that. A clean sweep for Anthony Davis on our prediction show here. I think. Um, I'm less worried about him coasting because I think the Lakers, even if they coast, they're still going to be in the top five defensively. And if that is the case, he's going to get a lot of credit for it. The residual effect from what he did in the finals uh, and in the playoffs for that matter. So I'm with you. I think the voters will uh, hold on to that uh, memory of what he did when the games mattered and, and give him the uh, credit in the regular season, even if he's not trying, quote unquote, as hard as he did in the playoffs. Um, and the last but not least on this uh, quick prediction award show um what do you think about most improved player because there's a lot of candidates that uh are, are popping up yeah this is always a tough one um and i do think there's a number of uh interesting candidates this season um shea gilgis alexander is one that comes to mind i think he's gonna have a ton of opportunities in okc 
DeAndre Ayton, I think, is a really good pick. I think he's just going to naturally improve. You expect number one picks in their third season to kind of make a jump anyway. And I think playing next to Chris Paul, um, he could just have a monster season on a Suns team that is going to be very relevant um, and could be kind of a force in the West. But for me, the number one guy on my list is Christian Wood. Um, Last season, in the the 13 games when he was basically promoted to being a starter when they traded Andre Drummond, he averaged 23 points and 10 rebounds a game and shot 57%... uh, percent from the field and 40 percent from three um and he's just an absolute monster on both ends of the court in those games and time will tell what the rockets look like this season um they obviously have a lot that they need to work out but if he's you know their starting power forward or center um i do think he can kind of build off that put up some big numbers and with him being a guy who was undrafted several years ago um and really was a name that no one had on their radar a couple years ago even to kind of work his way into the starting lineup of a competitive team, put up big numbers. Um, I, I think that's kind of like the MIP uh, blueprint, really. I'm going. Uh, I'm going off the board uh, with a guy that I don't think uh, will get enough recognition for his growth as a player, but I think his hot play from the bubble will carry over, and it will finally be reflected in his regular season stats. Of course, I'm talking Jamal Murray, um, a guy that's an 18 point per game score. So it's going to be tough for him to really open a lot of eyes. But uh, he's shown up in the last two playoff runs for that he's had. And obviously, you know, his performance in the bubble was incredible. He already averaged 26 per game and had those big 50, 40-point nights in the battles of Donovan Mitchell. I think now having those games on the grand stage is going to ma- is going to matter. Um, he's the type of player that plays better under the, the bright lights. Christmas Day, the uh, MLK Day games, the, the prime time games. He's going to show up in those, and I think that his scoring average is going to go up. It should go up this season um, based off the confidence that he's shown in the last two playoffs, and, and he's going to turn himself into an all-star, even though we're not going to have an all-star game, but at least he'll be in the discussion, and I think that will be enough to get him uh, over the line. because, And it's going to be marginal because I don't think that – any one player is going to make the leap that Bam Adebayo made uh, a season ago or Pascal Siaka made the season before that. I think there's a lot of really good players that are just going to get a little bit better, and maybe Jamal Murray is the biggest name of the bunch, and he ends up getting the award. My concern with him is that there's just going to be such high expectations because of the way that he played in the playoffs that if he doesn't kind of reach that level again, which was, you said it, 25-plus points per game kind of thing, um, that people might not see the, the improvements that he might make in the same light. So that would be my only concern. Um, but I, I think he is one of the mo- more interesting players going into the season just because of the way that last season went. Um, and if he can kind of make that all-star leap, I mean, that would be that would be huge for, for, for Denver moving forward. Yeah. We, I mean, we give the award to second overall pick. So why not, why not Jamal Murray, a, a guy that's uh, <laughs> showing up big time in, in playoff races? Uh, that's all we have this week, and we had a lot. Uh, and that you know normally happens when the season's right around the corner. We are a week away before opening night. Boston and the Golden State Warriors, sorry, Brooklyn and the Golden State Warriors get things kicked off right out of the gate. The LA Clippers and the LA Lakers do battle on ring night, opening night. Can't wait. If you haven't already, lock in NBA League Pass. Uh, that is the only way to see every single game uh, available to you. Um, and all around the world, if you haven't done it, now's the time to go out and do it. Next week, we'll come back with the Western Conference preview, 
and of course the MVP award, coach of the award, coach of the year, and sixth man uh, of the year award predictions. And we'll finally make our predictions on uh, who we think will play in the finals. Notice that we left that out of the Eastern Conference discussion. It'll give us a week to uh, think about it a little bit longer. For Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay. We leave you here on NBA Sound System and remind you, if you haven't yet, please rate, subscribe, and review on the podcast. And also, rate, subscribe, and review at Sound System FC, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, right here across the NBA Global Networks.